All right, welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BK Glue Guys. Check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and of course, netsdaily.com. Brian. Mike, we just had the best conversation. <laughs> we had about, what did you say, 45 minutes of, of time with Net yeah. Income, yeah. the man of mystery. We went toe to toe with, with, with the, the man himself. Um, so yeah. after our intro, you're going to hear this interview with Robert Windrum. Who's net income? Yeah, we can reveal that, right? Yeah, because we sort of at the beginning of it, you'll sure. hear as we talk about basically the we divulge the personal life of the man, how how net income all net income the, came to all be, of the personal details. Mike talks about his personal details. Um, unfortunately, you will not get my Rogue One review. We promised it. I I saw the movie, but I think the podcast is too long. The people don't want to hear about Rogue One, do they? I know I don't. I know, <laughs> I know that's for sure. All right, I haven't seen it, so maybe I, next time when I see it, I'll, we can talk. It's freaking awesome! All right. It is so good. Like I said, I don't want to talk about it. All right, um, coming up next is our interview with Robert Windrum, and after that, we'll just it'll just be off. It'll just be done. Give him the outro. Give him the little. Uh, we'll give him the, the music. Beeps and boops. Yeah. yeah. So right. this is our interview, right? Ugh, Mike, you're kidding. just do it. Just put it on. How do you want us to refer to you on air? Um, you can probably refer to me as by my real name. Um, <laughs> you know, um, enough of this charade. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, we can, uh, we can do that. Do you uh, want, do you want to talk about the charade at all or not? Sure, really? I can talk about the charade. Sure. All right, um, let's, let's, you know, I mean, that started when, you know, when I was, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much you know about it. I work for NBC News. I'm an investigative producer at NBC News. Focusing on national security, um, which I have done for 33 years, wow. but eight years ago, 36 years, I'm going to talk about. Eight years ago, I, uh, I retired. Um, so, and I'm essentially, a, then they brought me back and I was a freelancer. Mm-hmm. And I had the net income, um, nickname because I didn't want people you know, confusing the two roles. Sure. Um, I wanted to do a blog, but I didn't want to do it on national security because of the potential conflicts. So I chose this. <laughs> and obviously, I'm obsessed. And John Schumann asked me to do it for two weeks. Yeah. Back in 2005, when uh, he, you know, when uh, he and his wife were having their first child, mm-hmm. and uh, the two weeks is now uh, <laughs> is now 11 years. You just got um, hooked. So yeah, I got hooked. So um, where where did it? How did you know John, and then how? Um, John, we knew I, we knew each other through the old NJ.com forum, um, and he was Scooby, and I was and I was Net Income, <laughs> and um, and then you know he put out an APB among the among the posters there. Was there somebody who after he set up Net Daily, is somebody else who can you know take up the slack? Because at that point, I don't even think Net Daily had a uh, comment section. Uh, and maybe that was a mistake. Um, <laughs> but uh, I got an email today from Irina Pavlova, and a, a text message just said, never read the comments. <laughs> um, and yeah. uh, so she used to comment, and then she begged me to ban her because it was such a temptation, and she wound up you know, sitting there for hours just excoriating people, and she mm. does not suffer fools gladly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... You know, I've been through, as as I've said, and I'm a season ticket holder for the last 
10 years or 11, I can't remember. Um, but, uh, so I've been through three arenas and one arena. Um, <laughs> you know, since, uh, you know, since I, and I just feel like, you know, I don't have to be a season ticket holder. Um, because I could obviously get press credentials, but I just think if it's going to be a fan site, it should be somebody on the fan site should have, you know, should have some deeper connection than just covering them. And that's, that's what I've, Noble. that's what I have chosen to do. Sure. So you go, do you, so I, before we join Nets Daily, I, there's obviously, and I think we kind of joined along, there's so much mystery sort of around you. Overall, did you ever that mystery hit you? And do you do you care? Do you care about that? I used to, um, you know, and most people know or can easily find out. Um, it's not a, you know, it's not it's not you know it's not some classified information. <laughs> a lot of people know who I am. If you want to know who I am, you can figure it out. But one of the reasons why I've just kept it net income on the byline and on the comments is because it would just be too confusing to change it you know to my real name um yeah. and uh so we just let it go let the air of mystery surround it even if even if the air is you know obviously penetrated um but yeah so that's that's the basic story um i've been at nbc for 36 years um and i've been with next daily for 11 the end of the 2000s uh, end of the 2005 uh, season is when I started. So you've um, seen the real glory days, yeah. I would say. Yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And the site started a year before that. The site started in 2000, uh, February of 2004. Mm-hmm. So this is the 14th season. Yeah. Not full season, but the 14th season. When would you say would be the, the height of the popularity of the site? Would, is this is this Dwight Mayer? Oh, it's now. It's, it's now. now. It's just, it's just oh, up yeah. on and onward. Oh, huh? yeah. Oh, yeah. We, I mean, you know... If you almost by any metric, um, you know this is the this is the most views page views we have. It's the most Twitter followers. It's you know it's we haven't ever ever had really a dip um, of any significance. It just continues to it continues to rise. And you know last year I thought it was going to be tough because the team was so boring and so yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, this year it's no longer boring. It's still bad, <laughs> but uh, you know I think it's I think ultimately. Um, you know, fans come because they're fans. Um, and as long as they do, you know, we're happy to serve them. And, you know, we've got a number of young writers and, you know, Tom and I are the, are the adults in the room, um, along with Rich Denton, who does the, uh, who moderates our comments and is working on his PhD in psychiatric social work. So he is actually fully qualified. Um, <laughs> To deal with the uh, to deal with it yeah. with the comments, yeah. um, but and then there's a couple of young writers who are in their twenties, like you know Pooch and Reed Wallach and Brian Florentine and now Brian Fonseca, and you know it's been fun shepherding uh, shepherding them. Um, but you know, but it's yeah, it's 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 obviously a labor of love. Um, although there are nights when there are existential questions. Um, mm. To why am I doing this? Uh, <laughs> right. When when did that when did that hit you the most? The um, Jeremy the, Lin was the out. Worst, and... The worst time was um, the night after the melodrama fell apart. Mm, yeah, I remember um, that morning being really dark. Yeah, yeah. and it was that that evening. I was having dinner with my wife and son at a restaurant, and I wasn't saying much because I kept thinking, "Why am I doing this?" 
Yeah. And then, of course, you know, the next morning um, it was it was Darren Williams' day, and oh, everything's fine. What um, was the what was the rumor? They're about to trade Devin Harris to Portland for who was it? And that was like the darkest, the darkest one. Who, do you remember this? Devin Harris to um, Portland. Who would that have been at that point? I forget. Know, that Randolph was like that was the rumor the that was going around, and I was just like, this is this is. This is going yeah, no, look, there's been a lot of them. There was one a few weeks ago. I can't even remember what game it was. Um, but, uh, you know, where they almost lost and then pulled it out. But, yeah. you know, it's, look, it's it's tough being a Nets fan. Um, sure. And it's probably going to be tough for another three to five years. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> let me uh, parlay that into into the first, like, formal Nets question. Sure. So. I was thinking, like, <clears throat> with with the uh, newly negotiated CBA sort of ostensibly in place, uh, is this the most difficult time to be a bad team in in recent NBA history? Like, specifically, a bad team without many draft prospects, like we are. Like, and and things seem to be trending at least contractually to to benefit teams that are already in good positions. Uh, like. Ha- is is this possibly the most difficult time that that you could foresee for this team? Yeah, I think I, I try to put it in this way um, that the new CBA um, is advantageous if you have a lot of draft picks and a superstar. Right. The Nets have neither. Right. Um, so it's another it's another impediment for you know Sean Marks, Trajan Langdon, Kenny Atkinson. And you know various Russians, um, right. but I think the I think it's you know when I hear Sean Marks talk about strategic deals he wants to meet, that translates into yeah long term, and I suspect it translates into trying to pick up some picks or some you know some young player who the Nets think you know, higher of than 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 their current team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, I think it adds a degree of difficulty. And, you know, it's great to have, it's great to have those, you know, superstar contracts, right. um, those five year deals. Yeah, what did you, what did you also think out. of the, uh, the extra sixth year for a guy that's been in the All Star game? Did you see that clause? That, yeah, there, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it takes it beyond the Derrick Rose rule. Right. And, you know, and, and, and I mean, it, it also, it's incentivizes, Individual talent, which I'm, or individual achievements, I should say, which, you know, not so crazy about. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, I guess that's the players, the players, um, incentive, but I think that to a certain degree, there should be something in there that, that incentivizes winning. Now that, Um, now that things like, like these superlatives, like, or what used to be superlatives, like the All-Star game actually affect people's, like, paychecks, are they going to, Roll back the the like the fans voting these people in, or do you think that they're just going to continue with that model going forward? Well, they announced the other day that the media is going to have a, a you know greater role. The players mm-hmm. are going to have a greater role, and there's always been an individual contracts. There has been you know if you make the All Star team, you know that's uh, there'll be an incentive. Sure. Um, but this is now league wide, right? Um, yeah. And as I said, it's the Derrick Rose rule plus. So yeah, I mean there's you know there's going to be there's going to be some there's going to be you know some how shall I say this um you know, um the bad coming out of this deal but of course the good that comes out of this deal is that it's done uh and everything else flows from that but as a Nets a Nets fan then you've really got to be concerned um that again um 
you don't have draft picks, you don't have a superstar, so this is not necessarily a good thing. Now, I haven't talked to anybody on the inside who could tell me, well, you're missing this or you're missing that, mm-hmm. but, I mean, that's just my general impression. Well, right, uh, and that's sort of always the key piece of this, of any CBA or any change in the rules is that there's always, let's say, like three or four things that are that we miss via the headlines, oh, yeah. and that um, I I don't know if this was in the two CBAs ago, but sort of the poison pill contract that was something that really wasn't done before, and then Houston popularized it with Jeremy Lin. Um, right, right. They're yeah. going to be the only one who apparently knew that was Daryl Morey, because um, he did it with Lin and Asik, um, you know, in the same in the same summer. Uh, but yeah, and the other thing is, is the unintended consequences. I mean, every one of these deals has some unintended consequences. And, you know, somebody like a Bobby Marks or a Daryl Morey, um, is going to pick up on that. Um, and we may not know that now. We may figure it out in the off season. Um, when somebody comes up with some sort of permutation, the, that's going to be to the advantage of one team or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you know, the bottom line is, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to go through a long off season, you know, like we did, you know, a few years ago mm. when the off season went from, you know, regular season, a- April to, um, to Christmas, yeah. um, yeah, which was really a tough time. Um, but I will say that the starting at Christmas was super exciting and the best. I mean, I remember singing. I created my own little song. I remember singing about basketball. What? What? In what? After context? the lockout, because starting on Christmas, in Christmas Day audience. is the best regular season day of basketball. Everyone, you know, sort of knows that. And then the fact that it's the season started on that. I mean, that was, you know, the lockout was terrible and it was awful. And then we had to listen day after day of the developments. But to actually have the season start on Christmas, Mike, there was Mike one benefit. This is a headline. Yeah, this yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. <laughs> But the one, th- so one thing I want to say about the Nets, and so we're sort of talking about how the Nets be- can become better. Um, there was a change in the way restricted free agency is going to work. Um, isn't it going to be a shorter period? Which, yeah. if the Nets are going to get better, they've already shown this blueprint before with um, the Crab contract and the Johnson contract. They're going to go after restricted free agents. So that is yeah. sort of one yeah, way. No, that'll and, help. and Marks, Marks has said that. Marks said it. Marks said it um, on either media. I think it was media. No, it wasn't media day. It was the day that the free agents were introduced back in August. He said that we're going to do it again. Um, and then he said it the other day. Um, I believe he said it in, in maybe it was yesterday in Evan Roberts' uh, interview. Um, yeah, it was. He said they were going to do it again. Um, they're over three. Um, you know, they consoled themselves by noting that there are three players um, who wanted to play for the Nets. There was an, there were a number that you know that they approached, uh, or a number of RFAs who they approached, um, who did not say yes. Um, and but they said they got three, and you know they believe since they were matched that you know they were in the right market. Of course, you know, uh, Yunus is different because that was a desperation uh, shot. Um, but the, you know, I mean, if they had gotten two of those three guys, there would be a better team. There's no doubt. I remember reading uh, at what point that, um, 
the idea that Kevin Durant wouldn't hold a meeting with with the front office for the free agency period that that, that really hit home and that was a a, yeah. a yardstick moment. Um, do you think that that has changed in any way? Do do like the larger free agents of the NBA would they sort of even theoretically consider us, or is that still we have a lot of PR to work on before before any of that can happen? I think it's more than PR. I think yeah. we, you know, I think the Nets have to work on, uh, you know, just proving to everybody that, you know, that they are going to succeed. And, and, you know, the way to do that is when, you know, free agents look at them or hear from them, um, about what they can offer. I mean, obviously there's a lot of things that are, that are, that are positives. They play in New York. They play mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. They play in a great arena. They practice in a, and maybe the the most certainly the most dramatic setting of any of any training camp and it's it's mm-hmm. or training facility and it's got any one of a number of amenities that you know that they they can take advantage of in recruiting um but they also have to show on the court that their the strategy is working i mean that was one of the things with you know Sam Hinkie and the process well that's going to work and you know it's going to be fine mm-hmm. but you know what they still haven't been able to attract a free agent, yeah. um, and they're still losing. Um, and you know, the thing with Durant was there were so many connections. I mean, Jay Z is his agent. Michael mm-hmm. Yormark, Brett's brother, runs the the management company. Uh, Adam Harrington, who's now the uh, who's now the Nets player development director, um, is one of his closest friends, mm-hmm. um, and also. And also, um, you know, and, and his his pastor lives in Brooklyn, and they thought right. it was, that was all going to my work. My most enjoyable connection yeah. of all—that yeah. this rock star pastor had had was in right. Brooklyn, and that was going to change oh. sort of the whole picture. Yeah, hang on for a second. Sure, he's got a dog, Mike. I appreciate you that. You got a dog. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The um. The. Uh, the delivery man is at my door. Oh, um, good. So, um, but you know, I'm going to have to take a you know a, a minute break in about a minute as he starts to bring me the two <laughs> sure, packages. Sure. Um, so you can edit this if you want. Cool. Um, but you know, Durant refusing to take an interview was a wake-up call mm-hmm. because they had planned it out and they saw advantages. And Jay Z made a personal appeal. No, oh. says Durant. Um, and you know Harrington is very. They they tra- he and Harrington traveled together, traveled overseas together. So you know there was a lot of con- and later by the way there was another connection, which is in high school he played on the same team as Gravis Vasquez. They were teammates. Is that right? Yeah. Right. But so th- none none of that worked. Now obviously Durant had a very short list of people he wanted to talk to. Mm-hmm. And that's generally true for any of the big free agents. Um, now you go back to LeBron and, and Wade and, and Bosch. There were five teams um, who sat down with them. And that was it. Um, and then, you know, I, I forget. In between, there was somebody else besides. It was besides Durant, and there was only like five teams that, that he would talk to. Well, Marcus Aldridge, maybe. I know Aldridge yeah, only had a couple have, of yeah. teams. Um, yeah, exactly. Aldridge only had a few teams, and there was somebody else. But <clears throat> excuse me, superstars and don't want to play for a losing team. 
I think the middle ground guys, um, including the RFAs, those guys for those guys, money matters. They're younger, so they have a longer horizon um, for winning, um, and money can matter. But you know, now if you're dealing even with if you're dealing with an unrestricted free agent under the new under the new deal, the new CBA, the disparity between the team that owns that owns you and the teams that are interested in you is much greater it's greater in terms of money it's greater in terms of years um and so you're at a disadvantage uh with an unrestricted free agent with a restricted free agent you may have it may be a little a, a little less of a disparity and i assume that that's one of the rationales for uh for the nets looking at the restricted free agents but you know, again, and it's a market that has never been really pursued by any team in the NBA aggressively. Teams are so no. reluctant to put. I remember uh, Pekovic from Minnesota was sitting out there for weeks. I remember in free agency, and no one touched him. And then he signed back with Minnesota. This was a couple of years ago. It's just not something that teams seem to want to do now. With a three-day waiting period, it's going to become uh, an easier an easier uh, decision-making process. You're going to have easier to plan it out, the fact that it's a quicker, shorter period for the team. And again, right. if, if, if you're Marks, you're trying to be innovative. What's the way to – you have to figure out something that someone has never done before. Right, is, or has been done so infrequently as to not be an accepted strategy. I mean, Daryl Morey did it twice, um, you know, with the poison pill uh, contracts. But he didn't do it again. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, issued that and, you know, and got – and got caught with the uh you know with with the nets offer sheet um you know which got so messed up yeah. and you know i don't know the the intricacies of of any of the rfa deals besides the two-day waiting period instead of three but you know you wonder if principal terms now um include incentives um mm-hmm. which they didn't uh to bj armstrong's uh unhappiness um but i think that it's a strategy and there is some validity to it you will probably overpay and the other thing is you will probably um you know set up some animosity between your organization and the organization that holds the players rights um I can tell you that Mickey Arison was a big mentor to Mikhail Porkorov and Dmitry Razumov when they entered the league and he didn't seem too happy when the Nets made the bid for Tyler Johnson. Um, and remember, he made that that statement: "Nobody's going to poach from my team." Yeah. Um, so I mean, you and of course, you know, when when Maury did that with the Knicks, there was bad blood. Mm-hmm. So you run into that, you know, possibility. Um, but I think that at this point in time, you can't. You can't yeah, can. you can't take that much into consideration. I mean, and how much does that matter? The fact so you hear about Danny Ainge that teams are reluctant to deal with Danny Ainge not because of personality but because he's well, Exhibit A is the Kevin Garnett Pierce trade that he seems to have fleeced so many people. Yeah. Um, you're talking about per, you're talking about you know sort of upsetting the the country club mentality between owners if you start trying to poach RFAs. How much does that seem to matter how much would that impact the nets if they suddenly became let's say black sheep of the nba because what they do is go around trying to poach players that everyone sort of has an understanding that these guys 
aren't really free agents, which well, not. I mean, to start with, they sort of already are the black sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're Russians. Um, they're you know one of the, the only European owners still. Um, they threw a lot of money around, which really pissed off a lot of the owners um, when they when they started because their you know their their strategy was to throw money around, and of course the owners don't want don't want to have to deal with that. Um, so I mean, to a certain degree, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Let's you know we have to do what we have to do, and of course you know one of the things they may not have great relations with the owners as a result of this. But they all have really good relations with agents. Um, well, and that's what I thought with the Montaudis deal specifically. And I, you know, I said this on our pod. Even though after the deal fell apart, it was that if I'm B.J. Armstrong, I'm thinking, you know, I have a team I can deal with. Essentially, the yeah. Nets did them what should have been a favor, um, and ended up not working out exactly the way I think they intended. But the Nets now they have a relationship with him and saying, hey, we're we will do this. We will try to get your age, your player money. You know. Yes, yes, and I think that's. I mean, and, and he's he's part of the Wasserman Group, which of course has fallen on hard times. Um, but uh, since Arn Tellum left, but I mm-hmm. think the, you know, I think that another the other thing is other agents will see that um, and appreciate that. I believe I I, I don't know that, but. I know among agents that Sean and Trajan, who does a lot of the who does a lot of the contract work, um, you know, have a good reputation. Have a reputation as as guys who will, you know, shoot straight. Or as I've talked to a couple of agents who've who've told me that. Um, but you know, look, these things are always difficult. Um, you know, they're always difficult. Uh, and I think the you know the it's competitive. Um, and these guys have not gotten to the point they are um, without being hyper-competitive, you know, whether it's Cuban or Ranadive or Perkaroff or Dolan, whoever. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are very competitive people, and they thrive on that. So, I mean, they may be, they may be upset, but I think they'll understand that, uh, you know, it's part of, it's part of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and look, it's, at some point, the Nets are going to have to get lucky. Um, please, God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, to that point, and transitioning a bit to, to the X's and O's portion of the, uh, the discussion, uh, so if, if any of these players, as, as the team is currently constructed, has, has any of them had the special juju? Has any, has any of them appeared to you to be someone that could potentially have, have what it takes to break out in any capacity? Um, well, I, you know, you, you, you have to focus... On Levert, I mean, they yeah. were very, they're very, very high on Levert. Um, you know, they really believe that he is going to be a star. Um, and it's, but it's going to take some time. I mean, obviously he hadn't played in a, almost a year, mm-hmm. um, you know, when he stepped on the court, uh, a week and a half ago, whatever it was. I mean, they're doing it in small dosage. And Mark said yesterday on the, uh, in the interview with, with Evan Roberts that, you know, if you want to, if you want to blame anyone on, uh, for not seeing Levert, blame us. We're being very cautious, um, and that's who they are on that mm-hmm. side of the of the of the building. But I think that's the one guy. And look, this is the other thing: they have a number of players who should be good rotation players, mm-hmm. um, 
and there are a number of other young players who maybe will succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe you'll see more from from Bennett, although that's a stretch. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe you'll see more from Yogi, although that's sort of a stretch as well. But Rondé, you know, should be. You know, should be a, a, a more than uh, a more than run of the mill rotation sure. player. Whitehead has shown some flashes. Whitehead, yeah, Whitehead as well, um, and maybe you know maybe McCullough. I mean, they're all twenty one years old. Mm-hmm. Um, they all should be in college. Uh, they all should be juniors. I think. Well, Rondé should have been would have been a senior. Mm-hmm. So I think what you what you're doing at this point in time is trying to develop some sort of some sort of coterie of players that could become rotation players in hopes of expanding that um, and also and also um, and then also pursue some sort of in some way shape or form a, a superstar um, because everybody realizes in this league that the only way to get a superstar other than have incredible luck is to have a top draft pick. Yeah. Um, you just look around, and you know, and that's the reality. And they're not going to have a top draft pick. Um, it would appear mm. um, until 2009. I mean, the fact they got a 20th pick in this draft, although it was a terrible draft, appears mm. um, that you know that that's a positive. But what did they have to give up? They had to give up a you know a very good rotation player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a guy who may not be a second. You know, uh, second scorer on a team. Um, he was, but, you know, he was for this team. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's for a 21 win team, right. Um, but, you know, I, are they going to get lucky? Um, you would hope so, because I think without a bit of luck, then, you know, then they're going to be stuck. Yeah. Um, and that's the problem. Um, and they could get bad luck, too. I mean, you know, Jeremy Lin suddenly becomes uh, injury-prone. Um, or, you know, something else happens. Or the, the, uh, the nightmare scenario of Brooke getting another injury to a foot or an ankle, and that's, you know, then that's DEFCON 5 or however you want to classify it, and that's the, about the worst possible scenario for this team. But they, I think they've handled him beautifully, specifically. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think what they did with their last contract, there's a lot of protections in there. And basically the way the protections go is if you don't play X amount of games because of a foot injury, then your salary is reduced substantially the next year. Right. And next year, of course, is, is, is expiring. So as long as he stays healthy this year, um, you know, I think it's I think it's okay if he has problems starting next year and he's on the expiring and they're still in a rebuild and they can't get you know I mean unless they've traded him by then mm-hmm. um but I think to a certain degree once they get past this year with him they've got enough protections that you know that they'll be all right and everybody says the game has changed etc um but on the other hand if you've got a player with an expiring deal, no matter how big the deal is, um, and the with the CBA as big as it is, um, you know, he still he still could attract he still could attract some assets. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I've seen I forget where it was, but recently 
they I think it was on ESPN.com, and they were talking about what a Brook trade could get. They were just talking about some of the big names. And the idea was that it would still be he would get a first round and a young player. Um which depending on where that first round pick is and who it's from, I think the Nets would sign up to do that. The issue is the center is the least valuable position in the NBA at this point, uh, which is completely shocking for in terms of where we are, like where basketball has come from. But Brooke being a three-point shooter sort of changes the equation a little bit. Yeah, and, and, and the other thing is each and every game he plays helps because what everybody keeps forgetting is you know whether you're a power forward and six foot eleven, or a center at six foot eleven, or a stretch forward six foot eleven, you're going to be prone to injuries because you're six foot eleven. Right. I mean, tall men have injuries. They have they have back injuries. They have foot injuries. They have knee injuries. They have heart problems. Um, and so, beyond you know, the foot troubles, it, Brooke has been you know. He hasn't really had back issues. His legs. Well, in general... he, he had back. He had back surgery at Stanford. Oh, um, never mind. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but he's passed that. Um, you know, and he hasn't had any knee issues, and you know, his foot is reconstructed. Um, and I think that you know that's. I mean, there's various kinds of foot surgery, but his foot was reconstructed. Levert's foot was reconstructed in basically the same way which was, I'll take a piece of your hip bone, I'll graft it onto your foot, and I will balance your foot in such a way that you know, you're not going to get into this, into this trouble anymore. Um, and I think that that's, you know, that's, to, that's to the Nets' advantage if they are indeed willing to, to get rid of them. And I don't think, you know, I'd, I would sort of be surprised if, if he's traded at the, um, at the deadline. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he traded before the draft. Um, but, you know, there's, they like him for what he is as well as what he can do. Um, and that does matter to, you know, to the character driven general manager. And it's and sort of sad to say, and not sad, but, um, it's almost taking advantage of Brooks' good nature that he is yeah, sort of the perfect player. Yeah, he's the perfect player. To have on your team on a bad team where you may trade him, and there's the idea that you may trade him, and he he does obviously care. He wants to be here, and he doesn't want to be on the trading block. But he's also not Demarcus Cousins. He's not no a guy no. who's going to make a lot of trouble for you. Here's another thing, though. We're also I feel like at times like so you know Toronto's game was not great, but we've been losing close, and sometimes losing close to very good teams like Houston. Uh, is it even is it possible that we could be like one really good player away or one even above average player away from being even, you know, in the 30. Respectable? Yeah, to the 35 <laughs> win range, somewhere in like that. Is that, is that, uh, is that possible for either of you guys? <laughs> yeah, look, I think if they had gotten Modi Yunus, they would have been respectable once he was acclimated. And, you know, it, my, what I was saying at the time, you get Lynn back, Levert back, and and sign Modi Yunus, and you know that team is it becomes a lot more interesting. Yeah. I don't know if they win a lot more games, but it also it, it becomes deeper. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could at that point you can put people who are who have a reputation for being second team players back on the second team, like like Booker. Um, 
and and Moda Yunus is always all is is still despite no. this despite the fact he's dead to me now. Um, <laughs> he is still he is still twenty six years old. Yeah, um, and he's young. And but you, know, you look around and that was a freebie, and it was a freebie in in two ways. One of which was you didn't have to give up a player for him, and the other thing about it was the amount of money that they were going to pay him was virtually identical to the amount of money they're under the floor. They were going to have to spend that money, and they are going to have to spend that money some way. Mm-hmm. And why not spend it on, on you know, on Modi Yunus, who's basically you had all sorts of trigger dates and team options to protect you. Yeah. And I think, actually, if they had given him what they had promised in the offer sheet, they would still be $200,000 under the, the, uh, the salary floor. Yeah. Um, so they've got nine million dollars in free money sitting there that you know that hopefully they could get something for. But I can't imagine they're going to get a deal as good as they would have yeah. if they had signed Modi Yunus. Um, and that whole mess hadn't uh, yeah, hadn't occurred. Um, but and also uh, you know we don't know what Levert's going to give. We don't know how you know how how much. Whitehead is going to be uh, is going to improve. He shows signs that he's you know improving. He's doing two steps backwards, one step forward, and maybe in the in another month he's doing three steps forward and one step backward. Uh, But you know, look, there's there's really only two players that I see, maybe three, that they would get a decent that they would get a decent return on, and the two obvious ones. Are Brook and Boyan, mm-hmm. and the other one is Kilpatrick. Yeah, um, Kilpatrick is not an expiring. Kilpatrick is going to make no. He's going to make less than one percent of the salary cap this right. year and next year. Um, I mean that is extraordinary to be able. I mean that's mm-hmm. what makes him a potential. You know, yeah, I have sure. no idea if they'd be interested in that. But I can't believe if somebody made them a good offer, they wouldn't think about it. So, are we? Um, would you say the emotional attachment? Could we be, for example, just looking at some restricted free agents? <laughs> off the are we? Are we one Contavious Caldwell Pope or a Nikola Miritich away from being Otto somewhat? Porter? <laughs> Otto Porter's my boy, and uh, yeah, I mean Otto Porter would be the guy. Somebody yeah. like Otto Porter, <clears throat> um, but there aren't a lot of Otto Porters. But yeah. you know, somebody young. Somebody who can play more than one position, um, somebody who is athletic, um, you know, and somebody who is not crazy. Um, yeah, all of those things. Um, I think that could be a help to them. But you know, I I don't think that this year is going to be is is going to be much different from next year or you know last year, other than the fact that the coaches and the coaches and somebody who everybody hates. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, and that's. I wanted to ask you just one more, and then I'll we'll let you go because we really appreciate the time. Um, I Kenny, got as much time as you got. Oh, I yeah. appreciate it. So Kenny Atkinson, you know, I would grade him as an A minus. I, you know, I don't really have anything I could really fault him on. Sure, there's a couple of times where I don't know. I mean, you can quibble with a couple of things. Do we have a sense of what Nets, you know, upper management thinks of the job Atkinson is doing? Well, I think, you know, I, I talked to somebody the other day and, and the basic belief is, the base, what I was told was that, you know, Moscow is very happy with both of them, mm-hmm. particularly with, with Marx. And I think what's going on here is that Marx 
comes in and does all sorts of things that Billy King never did. And suddenly they realize how much Billy King didn't do that he should have done. <laughs> do, you, do you have like specific examples today to put you on the spot? But Well, it... I think, look, I think the culture issue, I think long-term yeah. planning, right. um, I think... The, you know, the, the, the management, which, by the way, is an enormous challenge. I mean, you're, how, how do you manage all of these new things that he's developed, whether it's the D-League or the performance team or mm -hmm. analytics or sports science? I mean, how do, you, how do you manage all that? But putting that aside, I mean, there is – I don't want to say Billy was, was doing the minimal amount, but Billy was more old school. Mm. And the old school was less of a management – um, no, I mean, demand. It, yeah, it's, I mean, it's sort good. of, I mean, and not, again, I'm, you know, not to, to rag on Phil Jackson, but it's sort of the way Phil Jackson has run the Knicks, where it's sort of like, okay, we're going to get these names that we know, and we're going to fit them into the team, and then that, that's the team, and we're off and running. Billy did that, right. certainly, and everyone loved the Garnett and Pierce straight at the time. Um, where Marks is doing is, it seems like every decision they make is is thought out. You know, it's oh, yeah. Yeah. even to the littlest degree, whether it's Spencer Dinwiddie uh, instead of Yogi Ferrell. You know, th those little tiny decisions are being there. You seem like they're always analyzed, and there's a thought process behind each of them. Yeah, I mean, what one of the uh, one of the things that I point to in in in, in comparing the two is this: the Nets signed Andrea Borgnani after about two or three hours' discussion. The Nets signed Anthony Bennett, also a first-round international number one overall, um, after two months. Right. Um, after watching him, you know, in the gym for two weeks, after watching him and sending Chris Fleming over to Italy to, you know, or not to Italy, to, uh, yeah, I guess it was Italy prior to their, prior to their, uh, they're going to the Olympic qualifying uh, tournament and watching him. Um, I mean, that level of that level of detail you would not see. Now, there are people who will say Billy's personality and Billy's personal approach and Billy's Rolodex approach, um, you know, is not necessarily a bad thing mm -hmm. if it's done with if it's done within the context of some overall strategic plan, yeah. but. Look, what I am told is that R.C. Buford is still upset <laughs> that he lost that he lost uh, you know, Sean Marks, yeah. um, and and that and you know Popovich thought that if either he or R.C. decided to step down, that that Sean would have been a uh, a candidate for either of those jobs. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's it's not just the culture for the players. It's the culture of the organization as a whole, right. um, and the culture of the organization. And the the big problem, the big problem, the problem. I think the reason why Billy King was quote reassigned unquote mm -hmm. was not so much the Boston deal or the Wallace contract or mm -hmm. the Wallace deal or the Bargnani signing. Anyway, um, it was. It was the hiring of Lionel mm. Hollins. 
neither Mikhail Prokhorov nor Dmitry Razumov met with Lionel mm-hmm. before he was hired. They talked to them on the phone, but neither one of them had met them because Billy really wanted to sign Lionel very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's again that goes to the idea of it was it was a very different it was a very different process for the hiring of Marx and uh, and Atkinson. You know, they had a consultant come in and and you know get the names and make the arrangements to have these people come in and there was a you know a gang of four mm-hmm. you know who represented a variety of different you know mindsets in the organization um and that's how they chose and they waited they went through all four of the finalists i guess it was i think they i think they talked just six and then they had the four finalists and yeah and then they made the decision um, you know, to do it, and it was a carefully thought out strategic process. And to your That's point, not the way. I, I think, like for you know, Lionel is the perfect example of like just not paying, not doing due diligence where like personality is concerned. Like pairing him with Darren Williams on that team seems sort of disastrous and poison. Yeah, and then you're talking about um, like for example, Nerlens Noel's name's been thrown around in in trade talks and stuff, and uh, and. I think I saw you were commenting somewhere that that it it was sort of uh, they they didn't they weren't interested because they had vetted him, his personality, which I thought was really interesting because you know a team that is so uh, hard up for for talent like we are, it's it's really compelling to think that they are uh, sort of protecting the development of the other players by sort of distancing themselves from a personality like that, despite the talent. The key thing for them, and and Morse has said this is. It's all about the players. Yeah. Now, at some point, you will trade a lot of them. But while they are on your team, I mean, it's the little things. It's setting up so the families can, can, you know, can get a bus from the, from the practice facility to Barclays on game nights. Yeah. It's little so they can park somewhere away from the, away from the, uh, away from the arena and get a bus to take them and a family room where they're, you know, which has been expanded, I'm told. Mm-hmm. Things like that matter. And things like that could be a help. They're not going to get you anybody to sign, and, and, you know, if there's a disparity of $10 million. Mm-hmm. But if it's close, it's things like that. It's things like, you know, it's things like the protection of players from um, and helping, you know, individual players that will win them kudos and hopefully down the road get them you know a better a better player. I mean, I talked to people and you know I was told that they could have had waiters. <laughs> they could have had yeah, Rondo. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that was yeah, Waiters thing um, is very interesting because I, it seems like any team could have had waiters and then there's so many teams that ran away from that guy um just in terms of he just wasn't wasn't a, a valued asset by the time the free agency ended. I mean, it was. Yeah. And Rondo, this Rondo was even more extreme. And I asked, well, is that the, I asked somebody, I said, is that the way you decided not to go after, um, Lance? And I was told his name did not come up. Um, <laughs> Disappointing. You know, that was it. I mean, they just didn't want him. Um, Mike's been talking about getting J.R. Smith for weeks now. <laughs> What's that? Mike's been talking about getting J.R. Smith for weeks now. And I'm yeah. telling you, it's not J.R. Smith was my big play in free agency. I'm desperate, okay? I wanted talent and I want fun, and J.R. Smith is kind of both Look, of those. All I want is respectability. Yeah. All I want is, you know, is, is to go to a game and, and 
you know, and, and feel that they're going to they're going to win. I know they put up they put up a fight. They always do. They play well, except maybe for the last game, and that's a bit troubling because you know when the losing gets bad, you and I, you know, we all know that the you know players start to go hero ball. Yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, start to think about their own stats and their own contracts. Absolutely. Um, and that's the difficult, that's the difficult part of, of doing this, um, which is keeping, you know, keeping everybody, you know, keeping everybody happy, yeah. um, and focused on, uh, you know, on the, on the one goal. And, you know, especially if, you know, some of these guys realize that they're not going to be around. Um, mm-hmm. They've done some interesting things. I think I pointed this out with Bennett. It's you know, it's look, they could they could dump him tomorrow if they had to. But the way it works, the way the contracts work, is they have to decide by June thirtieth whether to renew Harris and Kilpatrick. Um and Kilpatrick's pretty much a no brainer and Harris is getting close to being a no brainer, considering how how little they cost. Mm-hmm. They don't have to make that decision on Anthony Bennett until opening night of 2017-18, October 31st. Wow. So that gives them more time, gives him more time. It is a it is a long-term incremental development plan with him. Mm-hmm. Um and you're seeing it starting to bear some fruit. Yeah. Um it's yeah, you know, it's not bearing it's not bearing you know not bearing the fruit that he's that he's equal to you know his his uh his position in the draft but you know if it's incremental that should be fine um and when i saw that contract uh, date that i which i had noticed and you know look it may be for reasons that i'm not familiar with but it certainly seemed to me that it gave him and them or them and him an opportunity to to further develop um you know all through the summer and and also the other thing is the um is Dinwiddie's contract. Um similarly, um he if he gets past January tenth, you know, when all contracts have to, all contracts become uh fully guaranteed, um his contract his contract requires him to do off season conditioning. Wow. And summer league, in order for him to get the next big tranche of his guarantee. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, what 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 Bobby Mark said to me, um, he said, "I'll tell you one thing." He said, "These these contracts that they're drawing up, that these the new people are drawing up, is giving them a lot of great experience." Yeah. Um, in you know, in, in being creative. Yeah, um, a lot of interesting yeah. stuff in the margins there. Yeah, and that's it. And it is the interesting stuff in the margins that sort of count. Um, and they're drawing up creative deals. Um, and maybe again, if the disparity is $10 million in an extra year of security, it's probably not going to have a big right. effect. But if things are otherwise equal, then maybe it does. Maybe the, you know, maybe the, the reputation that they're getting for, for developing players and, you know, with a capital D, um, gets, uh, you know, gets some kudos. Um, you know, maybe the way that the, uh, maybe the way that they, 
deal with the contracts gets them uh, gets them some advantage um, because one of the things that you have to do when you're in this position is be very very creative yeah. whether it's going after an RFA or whether it's scouring the D League whether it's adding scouts which they've done um, you know there's a lot of different things that that you know the performance team etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's those things that appear to be on the margin. Mm-hmm. That should help them, you know, as they as they move on and and at least at least in acquiring rotation players. For sure, um, perfect. Uh, they may not help them in getting a superstar. They may have to get really lucky on that. Yeah. But on a role player, I think they're. Uh, I think this all this stuff helps, and you know, and the and the facility helps too. I mean, I don't know if you guys have been up there, but it's like as Mike was there before it even uh, launched. I was there for the I was there for the opening on I think it was the media opening of it. Yeah. Um, yes. For CBS. The big dog and pony show that was there. That was all I mean, it was it was amazing, but sort of my take on that whole thing is that that let's say pieces of pie are your decision of coming to the nets, that is the tiniest little sliver. I mean, that does give them an advantage over other teams. I've seen, uh, I know the, I'm from DC, so I've seen the Wizards practice facility and it is basically a concrete dungeon. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and it's an arms race. There's an arms race among, sure. among teams. For so that. that's maybe 0.1% or 1% or however you want to do it. Oh, come on, more than 0.1. But to the Nets, it does help, but it's also, it's going to have to be everything's equal and then maybe that pushes it slightly over the edge. But we'll, yeah, and, you know, and, there's, and there are several things, you know, there are several things like that. that that's my point. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's the player development aspect. There's the, there's the manner in which players are treated is an aspect. There's the facility and all of its, and all of its, um, you know, sports science and medical um, aspect. There's a lot of different aspects that, again, in and of themselves is not going to get you what you, you know, is not going to get you a superstar. Right. But in the words of Lionel Hollins, the great <laughs> philosopher, um, when when we had a tour during construction of the uh, of the facility, he said, and I thought this is the best way of putting it. He said, "This facility is not going to be, or, or having this facility is not going to hurt you." in any negotiations with a free agent. Exactly. This is not going to yeah. be the reason that they don't come here. Yeah, that's a perfectly um, like sort of pessimistic Lionel Holland's way of, of putting yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, well, I really appreciate you joining us. Obviously, we can read you on Nets Daily. We can find this podcast. Yeah. Uh, great talking to you. It was really good. Thank you, Robert. Uh, my, my pleasure. And if you need me, if, you know, if, if yeah. some guest suddenly gets uh, arrested or in an accident <laughs> or, you know, something like that and you need me, um, you know, I'm okay. available. You know where to find me now. So appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Robert. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. 